0: Good morning. This is Tommy Ray, and we're in episode 44 of Water Rights, Laws, Guns, and Money. Today, I feel a little vindicated. I have said before that I am not anti-farming. I have to keep saying that because one always needs to be careful or the full weight of hay, grains, cattle, and all other ag products grown in this state will come down on your head if you say something that is interpreted as anti-farming. Just ask Governor Polis when he suggested one day a week without meat. I have questioned, and will continue to question, why such a disproportionate amount of our, quote, water that is owned by the public, unquote, goes to the farming ranching industry. The statistic is something on the order of 85% of, quote, our water, unquote, is used by ag, and ag accounts for about 10% of the wealth of our state. Doesn't that seem a little odd to you? Am I the only one bringing up this issue? In episode 41, we talked about how farms might save water. Great. Unfortunately, there is no way to incentivize farmers to save water and move such saved water to locations that need more water and are willing to pay for it. Water that farmers save today just goes downstream to other, more junior water rights holders, usually farmers, to grow hay. So what's the incentive there for a farmer to save water? If the state is serious about saving water, they, that is, our legislators, should address the ability to do something with saved ag water. But rather than trying to save water from our largest consumers of water, our legislature is asking urbanites to do more to save water. They have set their sights on Kentucky bluegrass. Our legislature wants to offer city residents cash to rip up their lawns. They have introduced House Bill 1151 as an effective way to manage demand of the state's waters. Really? An effective way to manage demand? To me, this is a puny effort. That's like having a house with two goats and two elephants inside. You can shoo the goats out and then say, well, at least we're cleaning out the house so there will be more room for us to live in it seems like you should see the obvious and at least think of ways to maybe get one of the elephants out of the house. House Bill 1151 is shooing the goats out of the house. State Representative Mark Caitlin, Republican from Montrose, is sponsoring this bill. He is part of the leadership of the House Committee on Agriculture, Livestock and Water. Note that this is coming out of the Committee on Agriculture, Livestock, and Water. Why doesn't the legislature have a committee titled Water and People? Should all water related issues have to come through a committee called Agriculture, Livestock, and Water? Just the name of the committee seems to say that water is reserved first for agriculture. Water is such a big issue that it should have its own committee rather than being stuck in a committee that is probably stacked with representatives from ag districts. If a bill on water is not favorable to farmers, guess what? It never sees the light of day. Something smells about the way water bills get introduced. I don't hang around the legislature, so I'm not sure how bills are brought up for vote, but I know if a bill cannot get out of its assigned committee, it cannot be discussed or brought up for vote on the floor where all our representatives get to discuss it. I only know what I read in the paper. One of my favorite papers is the Colorado Sun. I encourage you to start reading it. It's free to read, at least until your conscience bothers you and you decide to subscribe. And I did read it for free for a while, but then decided I should start supporting the type of journalism they offer. The Sun frequently covers water issues. Trish Zornio at The Sun wrote a thought-provoking article that was published on March 14, 2022. God bless Trish Zornio. Today, it feels like someone agrees with me. The title of her article was, Amid Growing Water Shortages, Colorado's Agricultural Scene Must Change. Wow. Wow someone with a big voice that is stating the obvious. She researched water use and stated that, according to state data, a whopping 88% of water consumption is used on agricultural and food production, while only 8% is used by municipalities and 4% on industries. Curiously, Despite Colorado's chronic and increasingly dry climate, the state boasts some of the more water-intensive agricultural outputs, such as beef, dairy, corn, and some fruits. As population centers continue to boom along I-25, urban water use is hitting an all-time high. These concerns are amplified as over 80% of the state's water flows west of the Continental Divide, while 90% of the state's populations and the top 10 agricultural counties all sit on the east side of the Divide. This means that every year, two dozen tunnels and ditches seek to move more than half a million acre-feet from west to east, often leading western residents to harbor a sense of thievery by the eastern regions, especially given they already don't have enough. I would like to see the source of her half million acre-feet number, but she is at least close when considering roughly 240,000 acre-feet annually is brought east by Northern Colorado Water Conservancy District. Denver brings over about 100,000 acre feet. Aurora and Colorado Springs, another 100,000 acre feet or more, and even more brought into Pueblo and farms east through the Arkansas River. If we, and by we, I mean the people of the entire state of Colorado, are going to do more with less, we should ask all citizens to participate, not just the ones in the cities. Yep, there are ways to save water in cities that should be implemented, but the elephant in the room is still the amount of water used in ag, and I don't see anything being talked about to save ag water the old axiom still exists. Use it or lose it. Use all the water you ever had. And ag always uses all the water they have the right to. Another direct quote from Trish, yet for all the talk of urban xeriscaping and efficiency, both of which we should pursue, there's simply no effort that urbanites alone can take that will address water shortages in full. As much as we, and I think she means urban areas here, use too much water, it's sprawling agriculture that continues to use far, far more. True, cities may not be doing enough. Only 53% of Colorado's largest cities are said to have water restrictions. In this light, it's easy to see how the West Slope might feel that the front range is rubbing salt into an already gaping wound. She says, in many ways, frustration directed at our urban centers seems fair. Trish poses three very tough questions for Coloradans. First, are we allocating our land wisely if it requires so much shuttling of water? Two, can we transition to less water-intensive crops with incentives from our leaders? And three, should we be shifting as a state to become the face of modern agriculture with methods such as cell-based meats and vertical farming? Trish has previously proposed improvements for Colorado's agricultural scene. Last year, she authored an article asking whether or not Colorado is looking at a future without cows. Within 24 hours, the state's top cattle industry representatives contacted her with complaints, asking why she wasn't presenting their industry more positively. She quickly retorted something on the order of, that's not my job. What she believes is very much her job is to ask tough questions that people like to avoid. Hooray for Trish. But there are no statewide politicians in Colorado willing to point out that some cows and corn in the state might need to go the way of the dodo bird. That's a shame. It's so easy to see the elephant. He's standing right in front of us. When you start asking hard questions about water consumption and water waste in the ag industry, many feel threatened. Here's a great quote from the March 12, 2022 Denver Post, in their article entitled, Cash for Grass. For too long, the western slope and the eastern plains have borne the brunt of water conservation, says State Representative Dylan Roberts, a Democrat from Steamboat Springs. House Bill 1151 gives the metropolitan areas the chance to, quote, play their fair part, Robert says. Really? I want him to explain to me how the western slope and the eastern plains have borne the brunt of water conservation. What have they done? But saving water is saving water. I agree that we should save water in the cities, but let's also find ways to save in rural areas. Should we continue to squeeze only the neck of the goose that is producing 90% of the wealth of our state? Shouldn't the rural areas also participate? Conrad Swanson, a reporter of the Denver Post, researched saving water by eliminating water-intensive grasses in the cities. Here are some of his findings. There's not any more water out there, and what water is out there is becoming really expensive. John Berggren, a water policy analyst with Western Resource Advocates, said, So let's look at how we're using it now. Berggren's organization backs a bipartisan effort at the Capitol to launch a statewide Turf Replacement Program. Perhaps the most common reason why grass lawns are so common throughout Colorado and the West is because people were used to having them, Berggren said. As people moved from the East, from places around the Mississippi River, from places with lots of natural rainfall and plenty of water, they brought with them a certain aesthetic desire. They wanted that big bluegrass lawn, Burgridge said. They wanted those parks. They wanted those green median strips. It looks good to a lot of folks. For decades, the aesthetic wasn't terribly problematic. The West appeared to have enough water, he said. People could take however much they wanted for their lawns. But as time went on, climatologists and water experts began to understand that the Colorado River was over-appropriated. Then, in 2002, Berggren said, a mega-drought started, made worse by explosive development. In the 21st century, we know water is more limited, he said. The same old calculus doesn't work anymore. I really like that sentence. The same old calculus doesn't work anymore. No, it doesn't. Grass replacement programs in other places, notably Las Vegas and Los Angeles, have worked and we should use them here, particularly on road medians and other areas that grass is really not used at all they're ornamental. We should continue to have grass on playgrounds, sports fields, and homes where they are used and enjoyed. Greeley has a turf replacement program called Life After Lawn. It has been successful, said water conservation manager Dina Engenhoff. Since launching in 2018, the program has helped property owners replace more than 150,000 square feet of turf, saving an estimated 32 million gallons of water. Now, I don't know if that's water annually or water since 2018, but it's still a lot of water. Not only does the program save water, but it also saves property owners money and their new native plants thrive much better in Colorado's dry climate," she said. Representatives of the Colorado Water Conservation Board, the Colorado Cattlemen's Association, and the Colorado River District support House Bill 1121. "Plus, this type of conservation effort can help take pressure off the agriculture industry," Representative Caitlin, the bill sponsor, said. "I'm sorry I just don't understand what pressure is on the ag industry. After all, under the prior appropriation system, they still get all the water they ever got. Until they decide to sell, that water is still there for the farmers. And selling is an individual choice for their private property rights. Well, starting with bluegrass is just that. A start. Now let's go on to other products that maybe shouldn't be grown in a desert environment. Like maybe corn. Thanks for staying with me during this podcast. These are just my opinions. I lay out for you what I read in the papers. I just question if our existing laws are going to successfully carry us into the future. I think we should take a hard look at that earlier statement. The same old calculus doesn't work anymore. It's time to change the calculus. I love reading these things and thinking out loud whether they are the right solutions. I also love interviewing experts in various fields of water. I have been working on lining up more experts but that takes time. Bear with me. I hope to interview a manager of a water district that is constantly looking for water. I am also trying to get those that know more about the 1041 process to talk to us. It is work well worth doing so we can all understand more about our precious resource. Like everything, it just takes time. And speaking of time, it's time to quit thinking so hard. So let's clear our minds by going to listen to my favorite mountain stream. See you next time.